0: It's Wednesday, February 21st. Today's WBFO Brief was reported at around 8.30 in the morning. This
1: is WBFO News. A bipartisan coalition of state senators is looking to wrestle control of a budget process they say has been dominated by the executive branch in recent years. According to Chautauqua County Republican Senator George Borrello, the Protect the People's Budget Act would prohibit the governor from including non-fiscal policies and programs in the budget approval process. The practice has become more common in the 25 years since the ruling in Silver v. Pataki that gave the governor expanded budgetary powers. Borrello says putting, quote, policy in the budget prevents full review of controversial issues. Farmworkers and their supporters will be rallying in Buffalo this morning prior to a court hearing that could limit their rights to unionize. According to United Farm Workers, arguments will be heard this morning at the Robert Jackson Courthouse in the case of New York State Vegetable Growers Association Incorporated versus Holgol. Advocates say due to the ongoing lawsuit, farm workers have been effectively prevented from organizing since October of last year. And local Republicans appear ready to mount a challenge for New York's 26th congressional seat that was left vacant by the departure of Brian Higgins, who is now the president of Shea's Performing Arts Center. Erie County Republican Chairman Michael Cracker will make an announcement this morning regarding the special election for the seat. Erie County Democratic Committee has endorsed State Senator Tim Kennedy in the race. More information is being made available as the investigation continues into a police-involved shooting in Hamburg that claimed the life of a 36-year-old woman. Lisa Height of Jamestown was shot on February 2nd inside a McKinley Parkway residence during a confrontation with police. WGRZ reports the officer who fired the fatal shot has been identified as Sean Gregory, a six-year veteran of the Hamburg Police Department. He remains on paid administrative leave as that investigation continues. Two other officers who were present at the time of the shooting have been interviewed as part of a review by the state attorney general's office. Hospitals and nursing homes in the Buffalo region continue to face overcrowding and bed shortages due to persistent Medicaid underfunding. That's according to 1199 SEIU, United Healthcare Workers East. The union has organized a forum for this afternoon to highlight an issue they say contributes to poor health outcomes for black and Latino communities. The effort is part of an ongoing call for New York State to use its cash reserves to close Medicaid funding gaps. Starting at 3 p.m., the event will be held at the Merriweather Library on Jefferson Avenue. N.A.A.C.P. Buffalo Chapter President Reverend Mark Blue and Common Council Member Zanetta Everhart are expected to be among those attending. And an Ontario woman faces a possible lengthy prison sentence for uh, on charges she assaulted a custom and border protections officer at the Peace Bridge. The U.S. Attorney's Office says 29-year-old Romaine Tomati was accused of biting the officer during an, an inspection. The WBFO Brief Podcast is made possible by Canisius University. Join Canisius on Saturday, March 2nd for a Discovery Day event to learn how your high school student can prepare for college now. Register today at canisius.edu slash visit. Well, a new poll has some bad news for Governor Kathy Hochul. Her popularity among New York voters has declined by eight points since earlier this winter. The Siena College poll also found a decided lack of enthusiasm for the likely Democratic and Republican candidates in the 2024 presidential race. WBFO Albany correspondent Karen DeWitt reports.
2: Hochul, who enjoyed her highest favorability and job performance ratings in January, saw those numbers fall by 8 percentage points this month. The poll finds that most New Yorkers think Hochul is hardworking, and a plurality of voters believe she is an honest politician. But many don't view her as a strong leader, and they believe she's out of touch with the average New Yorker. Sienna pollster Steve Greenberg says the governor lost ground among some core voting blocks, ones that Democrats need to be competitive in this year's congressional races.
0: Interestingly, her drop was largely among Democrats and among downstate suburban voters. So I don't know whether it's some of her budget proposals, the fact that the voters don't see her making progress on the issues they care about.
2: Hochul has gained negative attention for her proposal to make changes to the state's school aid formula, which would result in some school districts in suburban and rural areas receiving less money this year than they would have under the old rules. She also has scaled back plans for affordable housing after failing last year to win passage of an ambitious project. Greenberg says Hochul's numbers might have also taken a hit from the hotly contested congressional race to replace George Santos.
0: The downstate airwaves, TV, radio were filled with commercials. Certainly crime and the influx of migrants into New York were major issues in that campaign. So maybe that had an effect on her numbers.
2: The state's conservative party was quick to pounce on the poll numbers. In a statement, party chair Jerry Kassar said that New Yorkers have had it with the precipitous decline in quality of life under Governor and the one-party Democratic rule of the New York State Legislature. Kassar blames liberal policies and says the state needs stark political change. The poll also asked about this year's presidential contest. It found anemic support for both frontrunners, Democratic President Joe Biden and Republican former President Donald Trump. In a head-to-head matchup, Biden leads Trump 48 percent to 36 percent in blue New York, but both have lackluster favorability ratings. Greenberg says the poll for the first time asked voters how many would like the next president to be someone other than those two men.
0: We said if you had your choice and you could choose the next president, would it be Joe Biden, Donald Trump or someone else? And a plurality of New York voters said, please give me a president not named Trump or Biden.
2: The poll found only seven percent think both Biden and Trump are physically and mentally fit to serve a four year term. The poll also asked about a four way race, including independent candidates Cornell West and Robert F. Kennedy Jr. In that matchup, Biden led Trump by just 10 points, with West getting 6% of voter support and Kennedy receiving 13%. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt for the New York Public News Network.
3: Hi, I'm Emily Watkins. And this is the WBFO Disabilities Beat. Recently, I spoke with Erie County's newest family court judge, the Honorable Shannon Filbert, about her perspective as a judge with a disability on what people with disabilities should know about family court. This interview has been edited for Length and Clarity. Shannon, thanks so much for coming in today. Absolutely. Absolutely. For people who maybe aren't familiar with family court or are maybe going through family court for the first time, tell us a little bit about what family court is and what kind of cases it involves.
4: I think family court impacts every person in some way or another because everyone has parents. Everyone has a family. Despite, you know, you don't get to choose your family. They are your family. And one way or another, family court is going to cross each and every person's path at some point um, we deal with custody and visitation we deal with family offense petitions which might be you know asking for an order of protection to be issued i particularly deal with the article 10 which is abuse and neglect and a lot of times it's respondents who are parents who were themselves abused and neglected children. So there is this cycle as well that you see in family court. But as a judge, you have to be passionate and understand that there are a lot of different types of families out there, and be cognizant of that, and just be empathetic, but also follow the law. Mm. So it's, it's a, a tightrope walk.
3: I would like to talk a little bit about the challenges that um, disabled people face in the judicial system. Um, And I know you might be limited in what you can and can't say as a judge, but um, I saw a statistic that um, I read, the American Bar Association reports that, quote, disabled parents are at much higher risk of losing custody of their children than abled parents. And, quote, according to the Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation, two-thirds of dependency statutes in the U.S. allow for the court to determine that a parent is unfit on the basis of disability. Thirty-five states include disability as grounds for termination of parental rights. Ten states allow physical disability as the sole grounds for termination of a parent's rights, even without evidence of abuse or neglect. And in every state, disability of a parent can be included in determining the best interest of a child. So when I read that, I was like, wow, it sounds like this system still has quite a few barriers for parents with disabilities.
4: Absolutely. And um, in New York, I I don't think we're one of those states that you mentioned, and I know we're not, luckily. Um, But there are grounds for termination of parental rights, but it's not an automatic. I mean, you're going to have to require a – psychiatrists to do a lot of different studies. They would have to, you know, testify Mm -hmm. that the children in your care now and in the foreseeable future are at risk of abuse and neglect. So um, it's not just an automatic. I I, I feel terrible for those states, and I'm hoping that, you know, legislation will change in those other 10 states that you had mentioned. Um, But luckily, New York State is not one. And as a judge with a disability, I And I think the judges that are in Erie County Family Court right now are all very cognizant that a lot of these families do have intellectual disabilities that sometimes may be genetic and it goes down to the children as well, Um, physical disabilities. And they're all very, very cognizant about that. Um, We've all taken classes on implicit bias. Mm -hmm. So I think that also... Reminds them to be cognizant. And just because they might have a disability doesn't mean that, as you stated, they're automatically abuseful, or excuse me, automatically abusing or neglecting their children. But it does take into consideration one of the factors if you are determining best interest. But I think the law in New York State acknowledges you can still be a parent with a disability. But are there disproportionate cases that may come through the system with parents or even children with disability? I wouldn't be surprised, and I've probably seen it.
3: Why is that? Why why do more families with disabilities possibly come through the system?
4: I don't know. And I'm not saying it's definite. Yeah. Um, but we at least the abuse and neglect cases that we seem to see, a lot of the... Um, Family members, albeit the respondent parents, or you know the subject children, have some sort of disability. So I, it could be a lot of different things. It could be, you know, the cycles. It could be genes. It could be that they're just more apt to have um, caseworkers who might not know what services to offer, because mm. a lot of times too. Um, family court is hoping to be preventative. We don't want to remove children from their homes and everything they know. So I don't know if maybe there's just not – actually, I could say I don't believe there are proper parenting classes for specific, you know, parents with disabilities, um, parents who don't have disabilities, but their children have disabilities. I mean, I think we need more tailored classes and tailored assistance on the particular issue that brought them into court. And sometimes it may be surrounded or attributable to some sort of disability. So I think that's where the system is lacking.
3: What advice would you have to families that are about to engage in the family court process when they have a disability?
4: It's okay to let your attorney know. It's okay if you feel comfortable disclosing to the judge or the judge's law clerk if, you know, you need any sort of accommodation, even to enter the building. Mm -hmm. I mean, the accommodations are great. Um, So don't be afraid to disclose it thinking, oh, this is going to affect, you know, the outcome of my child custody case. Other than that, just be open with your attorney and don't think just because you might have, you know, even, you know, some people who have had substance abuse issues in the past and might now have, you know, some brain damage or whatnot. Mm. That can, and we see that a lot in, in Erie County Family Court or, you know, they may have overdosed, been in a coma And now they have some um, intellectual disability from that. Doesn't mean you can't be a good parent. Mm. And that's what I think we all have to remember. And the bench, I believe, does a pretty good job at that. And I'm hoping to continue that.
3: Thank you so much, Shannon.
4: You're welcome. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. For
3: more on this story, including a transcript, visit WBFO.org. I'm Emily Watkins, and thanks for listening.
0: Don't forget to like or subscribe so you can help others find this podcast. And if you love it, leave a review too. The WBFO Brief Podcast and the award-winning journalism of WBFO's news team are made possible by our members. Thank you for listening.